0: He, um, that's Jesus, went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, you will begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. And he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last, uh, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. At that very same hour some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken and I tell you, you will not see me until the day you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Ian. Um, I'm thankful for really special mornings like this as a church. I hope you are too. Um, I wonder, uh, as we get going this morning, if there's ever been a situation in your life where you've really felt the need to listen like your life depended on it. Listening to someone like your life, depending on it, I wonder if something comes to your mind. Let me take you to a time where that's true in my life. Byron Bay, Australia, 2010. I made the very out-of-character decision to uh, jump out of a plane at 14,000 feet. I'd never done anything like that before. Um, honestly, I don't think I would ever do it again. Uh, it was an unforgettable experience once in a lifetime, um, but one of the things I vividly remember was the feeling I had in my stomach as I listened to this skydiving instructor explain to me what was gonna happen and what I had to do in order to stay safe, to stay alive, really. He gave lots of important information. Um, obviously, um, you really listen to it because, well, you've never done this before um, and you want to live. Uh, and so my ears, they were really, on alert, open, and listening, but they pricked up more when he said this. The key thing, I was thinking about doing it in an Australian accent, but I'm not going to. The key thing, although it would be good because I'm quite a good Australian accent, but he said absolute key is to remember this. As soon as we fall out of the plane, you put your head to the right on my right shoulder. That's what you need to remember, Because he said, if we fall out and you keep your head in the middle or you put it to the left, well, I'm going to put my head to the left. And as soon as the wind hits your face, your head's going to fly back. And if you hit me in the face, knock me out, we're plummeting to the ground with no way to pull that parachute out. We're done. And he must have seen just all the blood kind of drain from my face and my eyes just steely wide open looking at him. Um, and let me tell you, it had a, a profound effect on me, those words. When, when the plane was ascending into the sky, um, ascending at the most ridiculous angle, I, I'm used to sitting in a plane like, kind of like this. It was actually like this. It was ridiculous. It felt like you were going to the moon. And I remember him turning around every so often and saying, look out and you know, taking the surroundings, look, at the, look out there, it's, it's amazing over Byron Bay. And I couldn't, because all I was thinking was head to the right, head to the right, right shoulder. Um, and as soon as the plane door opened, as soon as we got to the edge and fell I made sure that my head went straight onto the right-hand side, and I lived to tell the tale, thankfully. <laughs> but here's the thing, when the stakes are high, when it, it really is a matter of life and death, you listen very carefully, and you obey what's been said, don't you? There's no way you'd ignore the lesson when you know how much is at stake. Now, we're looking at a section of Luke's Gospel this morning. We're in a series in Luke's Gospel, so it's not that we've just picked this one, but this is kind of following the flow of of where we are as a church at the moment in this Gospel account. And in Luke's Gospel account, in this section, there are lots of serious warnings, far more serious than someone giving instructions on what to do with your head as soon as you throw yourself out of a plane at 14,000 feet. Because the warnings given here have implications not just on this life, but for all eternity. You'll notice if you look down at your Bible, verse 22, Jesus is on a journey. He's been deliberately following this journey since chapter 9, verse 51. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and his journey is going to end with his death on the cross. That's where he's heading, And on the way, Jesus, he gives these five blocks of teaching about what it looks like to follow him and to be part of his kingdom. In the last few weeks, we've looked at the end of chapter 12 and the start of chapter 13, and lots of Jesus' teaching in this section has been about getting the right perspective on life. Jesus taught on how we need to understand the times that we are living in, to realize how fragile and how fleeting our lives on this earth really are to see that that we really do need to turn to him, trust in him if we are to experience salvation. We saw last week that Jesus is the only one with the power to transform people's lives. He is the only one with the power to fix broken lives and to, to put together again this broken world. And so again, this is why we desperately need him. But now there's a shift in emphasis in Jesus' teaching for the next few chapters. And verse 22 of our passage this morning, it kind of serves as a a new marker point in the gospel, a new section. And in this new section, it's going to be all about how we become part of God's kingdom. What happens when we either accept Jesus as our king and become part of his kingdom, or when we reject Jesus and stay outside his kingdom? That's going to be the theme for the next few weeks. And this morning, Jesus begins this section with a bang. This story is a clear warning about the need to enter God's kingdom and the danger of staying outside. And if we would listen to a skydiving instructor like our lives depended on it, how much more should we listen to Jesus, the Lord of life, because the truth is our lives really do depend on how we respond to him and his word. Not just our lives in this earth but our lives forever. So before we get going I'm going to pray for us and I'm going to ask again for God's help to give us clear minds to give us ears that are open and, and ready to hear and hearts ready to listen and respond carefully to him this morning. Let me pray. Father We realize that your son Jesus has really serious things to say to us. So we ask you by your spirit to help us to listen to his word and to carefully consider what it might mean for us. Lord, would you give us this morning a spirit of humility so that we might respond to you in the way that we should. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we're going to look at these uh, verses together under three headings. Uh, And the first is this. Here's the first thing Jesus wants us to see it's the door. The door. Now, the section begins with a question from someone in the crowd. Look at verse 23. Someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? We're we're not really clear as to why the person asked this question. It's possible that they're thinking about what Jesus has just been teaching about with the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven. Um, We looked at that last week. Uh, He's maybe thinking that the smallness of the kingdom that, that Jesus is referring to is actually about numbers, so small in terms of numbers, small in terms of how many people will be part of it. But whatever the reason is, we can't be sure. Jesus, he answers the question with a challenge. He doesn't answer it directly. He says, in effect, this, don't worry about everyone else. Make sure you are saved. Make sure you are part of God's kingdom. So how do we do that? Well, the picture Jesus paints is of a door entering into a house. Look what he says, verse 24. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. That word strive, in the original, in the Greek, it's a word that's used to almost refer to, uh, you know, in, in wrestling in ancient times, it was that kind of agonizing, striving. That's where we get the word agonize from, is this word actually, strive. It's the picture of someone who's striving, agonizing towards the finish line in the, the storm at park run on a Saturday morning. It's that sort of making great effort. That's what Jesus is talking about. Will you strive? Will you agonize to make sure that you get your eternal future sorted out? Because it matters that much. Where you stand before God, it really is what matters most in life. Whether we are in his kingdom or outside his kingdom, that should be our number one priority. And that's why Jesus is warning here strive. Make every effort, another version says. Make every effort to enter God's kingdom. Now, Jesus isn't saying, make every effort to earn your place in God's kingdom. That would go against everything that Jesus says, everything that the Bible teaches. We cannot do that. None of us can. We can't earn our way into God's kingdom. We've seen, actually, that Jesus has some very harsh words for those who who have that kind of thinking, No, as we will see later on, it's something that God graciously gives to us, a gift of his grace. But Jesus is saying, make every effort to understand how to enter into God's kingdom. Make every effort to do what is necessary to gain entry into God's kingdom. And how do we do that? Well, Jesus says it's through the narrow door. See, there is only one way into God's kingdom. There's only one point of entry, one way to be saved. And it's narrow in the sense that it requires being deliberate. It requires saying yes, in that sense, to going that way. Intentionality. If it was a broad way, well, you could almost sort of fall into it without knowing. You could just kind of be walking and stumble in without realizing it, but that's not the picture here at all. Think of it like this. Um, Think of how you might gain entry to some countries in Europe. Uh, If you're in somewhere like Switzerland and if you're walking in the Alps, you can actually stumble without realizing it into other countries. So you can walk across the border into Austria. You can walk across the border into Italy, not even intending to do that. But if you want to get into other countries, countries maybe like the UK, by and large, you need a passport and you need to go through a a specific point of entry. The door is narrow in that sense, not broad. You have to deliberately go through a specific point. And it's like that with God's kingdom. There is only one point of entry, one narrow door. And that door is Jesus Christ. Elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus, he used another uh, entry kind of analogy to describe himself as the door or the gate to the sheep pen. He says this, I am the door to the sheep pen. Whoever enters through me will be saved. See, the Bible is clear. The way to enter into God's kingdom is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. The way to experience the blessing of being one of God's people is through Jesus Christ and him alone. The way to enjoy heaven with God for all eternity is through Jesus Christ and him alone. He is the only way. There is no other door. Jesus is unique. Jesus is exclusive. Now, that kind of a belief doesn't go down very well in our culture, does it? There's this assumption out there that if there is a God, then there are many ways that we can come to him. Many doors, a wide open way into his kingdom. In the end, actually, do you know, everyone will be welcomed into heaven through any number of access points. That's what lots of people believe. It's maybe what you even believe this morning. But the way the Bible presents it is very, very different to that. And if you've ever tried to lovingly explain that to someone else, well, you'll know that that can be a real sore point for people. That can be the kind of claim of the Bible which at best makes people prickly and at worst really riles them up, really offends. Because if we believe this to be true, what Jesus is saying here, that that Jesus is the only way into God's, God's kingdom, then by definition, we are saying that others are therefore wrong in what they believe. We are saying our Muslim friends are wrong. Our agnostic and atheist friends are placing their hopes in life in the wrong place. And that is seen as arrogant, as intolerant, as lacking compassion and empathy. But listen, this passage shows us that if that charge is to be leveled at us as Christians, then it has to be leveled at Jesus Christ as well. Because he's the one who said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He said, John 10, verse 9, again, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Getting to heaven, experiencing the blessing of being with God, it's not like getting to the top of Sleeved Honored, where there are just many routes that all can take you to the same destination, take you to the top. No, Jesus is the only way. And if we think about it, if God's kingdom, if it's his, his kingdom, then doesn't he have every right to dictate how we get in? It's pride to think that we can say to God the terms and the conditions of entry into his kingdom. Think of it like this, imagine you've been invited to the king's coronation, was it last year? Whenever it was, you were a guest of honor who received a letter welcoming you to that uh, grand event, to the palace, to the uh, celebratory dinner. Uh, And you're not gonna sit too far away from the king actually at that dinner, you're gonna be quite close to him, King Charles. Um, you get through the post this letter, and it gives you a list of instructions about how to come, about how to enter in, about what to wear your best dinner suit, what time to arrive three hours before the ceremony to get through security, where to arrive this private entrance around the side of Buckingham Palace. Now, imagine you were to show up to that event in jeans and a T-shirt. You're five minutes before the whole thing starts, Uh, and you're at the main entrance of Buckingham Palace, telling the guards there that you're meant to be allowed in. You've been told how to gain entry, how to be welcomed in. It's been very clearly explained. So really, whose fault is it if you decide to disregard his instructions and end up not getting in? It's not the king's, but ours. We didn't listen in fact, we've actually disrespected our host, and so we miss out on the welcome in. If this is God's world, if He really is who the Bible says He is, our loving Creator, the Lord over all things, then really, what right do we have to say to Him that there are actually loads of ways into His kingdom? Actually, what you've said, God, is a bit backward, is a bit dated, not really with the times that we're living in now. There's definitely a better way. We'll find that better way. It's pride. It's arrogance. It's sin. It's the heart of sin. Thinking we know better than God, choosing our own way rather than listening to Him and following His. Please hear Jesus very carefully. Get rid of that false assumption. It's a false hope, it will not lead you to salvation. We must strive to enter God's kingdom through Jesus, the narrow door. He's the only way. And before we move on, for those of us who are Christians, I want to just ask you a question that's been on my heart that I've been challenged with all week about this. Do we make it clear to people, by the way that we speak and by the way that we live, do we make it clear to people that Jesus is the only way to experience God's salvation? Do we make it crystal clear or do we sometimes water down the exclusivity of Jesus Christ to maybe make Christianity seem more palatable? Listen, Jesus says the kingdom is a radically inclusive one. We're going to look at this at the end, but do you see the amazing picture of inclusivity in our passage? Look at verse 29. There is a great number who are saved. We'll come back to this in more detail at the end, but but just notice now that through the door come people from all over the world, people from east and west, from north and south. This is a picture of a great multitude of people from every tribe and tongue and nation coming into the kingdom of God. God welcomes everyone into his kingdom, young and old, Rich and poor, black and white, the successful and the struggling, people from Africa, from South America, from the Middle East, from every corner of this world, everyone is welcome. But all must come through the same way, through Jesus Christ in the narrow door. Trust in him alone for forgiveness. Trust in him alone as the one who gives us peace with God. Trust in him alone as the one who can rescue us from sin and death. Do we make that clear to people in the most loving, gracious way? It's maybe not even sometimes that, that we um, kind of go some other way of saying something completely radically different from that, but it's almost maybe that we try and soften that. We water that down and muddy the water as we do it. We give people a, a false impression, actually, that, that living a good, upright, moral life, that it is what makes us right with God. That's what classes us as being in his kingdom. No, it's Jesus Christ and him alone. Attending a church, giving, serving, we, we maybe make out that those are the things that save us. It's not, it's Jesus Christ and him alone. I was thinking about with our parents and our children. We've been dedicating our, some children this morning how do we as parents communicate the gospel and this truth to our children that Jesus is the only way to salvation? Do we as parents show our children that we need Jesus just as much as they do? We need his forgiveness just as much as they do. We need his help just as much as they do. Jesus is the only way. He is both radically exclusive but also don't miss how radically inclusive he is as well. This is a kingdom that is open to all, but only if we enter through Jesus, the narrow door. Secondly, Jesus explains the decision, the decision. And I think we could sum up the decision in this way, and I'm going to say it slowly and carefully so that we really get what I mean here. Gaining entry into the kingdom of God is based on wholehearted acceptance of Jesus and his teaching not passing acquaintance. Let me say it again. Gaining entry into the kingdom of God is based on wholehearted acceptance of Jesus and his teaching, not passing acquaintance. It's not knowing about Jesus that matters. It's knowing Jesus personally that matters. Let me read verse 24. Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets, but he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. So in Jesus' story, there comes a time when the householder, he closes the door and there are some who come to the party late and they stand outside the door knocking, asking, let us in. But look what the householder, Jesus, he says, I do not know where you come from. I don't know you. Come on, Jesus, we ate and we drank in your presence. We listened to you preaching in our streets. Some of us even had you round for dinner. Surely you remember us. Jesus says, no, I don't know you. See, that welcome into God's kingdom is based on wholehearted acceptance of Jesus and his teaching. Not passing acquaintance, not partial acceptance. You may have been brought up in a Christian home. You've maybe gone to church from a young age. Maybe you've come to this church for a long time. You're here on a Sunday every week. You're part of a missional community. You come to our prayer meeting on a Monday night. You might admire Jesus and some of the things that he says, you respect aspects of his character and the things that he's done, but unless you personally acknowledge Jesus as your savior, unless you entrust your whole life, not just parts of your life, your whole life to him, then when Jesus comes back to judge the living and the dead, which he says in the Bible that he will, He will say those dreaded words to us I do not know you. Depart from me. You cannot have a passing acquaintance with Jesus in this life and expect him to greet you as a friend in the next. We either trust him and follow him and obey him wholeheartedly as our Savior and our Lord or we reject him entirely. There's no middle ground. There's no half in, half out. And I want you to note the urgency because there is a time when the door will shut. There will come a time when it will no longer be possible to enter through the door into God's kingdom. And as we've seen in previous weeks, none of us know when that time will be. It's just a reality of life. None of us know when when we will breathe our last breath on this earth and stand before God in judgment. The Bible says it will happen. It will happen one day. And when that day comes, there will not be any second chances. I'm sorry to say it. If we've responded to Jesus in repentance and faith in this life, the door will be open to us and we will walk in we will experience salvation. But if we've rejected Jesus and his teaching in this life, he will close the door and shut us out. The stakes are so incredibly high. This is why Jesus, his warning is so important for us to hear this morning. And there's one thing to miss in this as well. I think it's quite a sobering thing do you see how even the people outside the door, outside the kingdom, they acknowledge Jesus as Lord at the time when the door closes? They say, Lord, open to us. See, the Bible says there will come a time in history when every knee will bow and every tongue will rightly confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. But some will do that in the kingdom and some will do that outside. Encourage you, doesn't feel strong enough. Urge you, implore you, seems like the more appropriate way to call you to respond this morning to Jesus. See him standing at the door to his kingdom. The door open, arms wide open, welcoming you in. Run to him this morning. Whatever it is that's holding you back, whether that's guilt for your sin, Feelings of unworthiness because of the life that you've lived up to this point. Look, if, what, if that's holding you back, know this. Jesus Christ, he, he's paid the penalty for your sin on the cross. You want to know how much Jesus loves you and how he cares for you? He died for you to welcome you in. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he wants you to be part of his kingdom forever. Maybe what's keeping you back is this, you know, I'll get to it one day kind of attitude when things have settled down in my job, in my life, when I've settled down with a husband or a wife, when I've lived my life my way for a bit longer, then I'll come, after that. I'll come and I'll make every effort to enter in. Jesus says, no, please, that is foolish. Don't delay because no one knows when that time will come, when the door will be closed. Don't put me off. Today is the day of salvation, Jesus says. And you know, none of us can use the excuse that we just didn't know enough. Even today, we've heard enough of the gospel to turn and trust in Jesus for salvation. So once again, encourage doesn't seem strong enough. Implore seems like the better word. I implore you, I encourage you, please come to Jesus. Accept him as Savior and Lord. Know the joy and the hope and the peace of life in his kingdom forever. Don't delay. Don't put it off. You see the decision we all have to make? How urgent that decision really is? There is one door, not many. It's a narrow door, not a broad one. And we must strive to enter it now, not tomorrow. And thirdly and finally, Jesus presents the destiny. There are two destinies that that Jesus presents here in verses 28 to 30. Let me read it for us. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. Two destinies really clearly laid out by Jesus. And verse 28, it's the terrible reality for those who reject Jesus weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's not just a picture of pain, but of deep frustration and anguish. And Jesus makes it clear that that those who are not with him are thrown out from him. He's speaking of the reality of hell here, and it's sobering and it's uncomfortable. But Jesus loves us too much to skirt around hard truths. And I think based on, on what we read in the next section and what, what comes uh, actually before Jesus is speaking here too, he's speaking really pointedly to a people who should know by now who he is, who should recognize him as the Messiah. He, he's speaking to Jewish listeners people who were the religious leaders and the Jewish people in the crowd who'd seen enough and heard enough of his teaching, it's another warning to them to not keep their distance from him any longer. They were the people who mistakenly saw themselves as the in-crowd, part of God's kingdom already. They were the, the chosen people, obviously, right with God by virtue of their lineage. But Jesus makes it it's so clear, your birth, your heritage your passing acquaintance, your interested observations, they make no difference in whether you're in or out. You're in or out based solely on your response to me. And that's why Jesus laments over Jerusalem in the last section. Because even though he's tried time and time again to draw these people to himself, to show them who he is and what he has come to do, That's his desire. He wants nothing more than to to bring them in under his wings, to protect them from judgment, to save them. But despite his best, best efforts, they don't want him. They don't think they need him. They want rid of him. Jesus is in deep sorrow for those who rejected him. He's not saying any of these things out of anger or frustration or irritation. These warnings spring from the deep love of Jesus Christ. Do you see that's his heart for you this morning? As he says these words to all of us. And notice as we finish the other destination, verse 29, people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God and behold some who are last will be first and some are first who will be last the other destiny is to be in the household with the householder sitting around his table enjoying his feast with a whole picture of all these other gathered people who've been gathered in from around the globe it's a picture of heaven And everyone who'll be in the household of of Jesus Christ, they won't be there because of their own merit, because of the things that they've done. They will be there because of God's grace, his astonishing kindness and mercy. None of us deserve to be there, seated around that table. But through faith in Jesus Christ, our place at the table is secure. And that's what verse 30 alludes to. Those who think they are first in the queue God's kingdom, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, those who think they have the right to be welcomed in because of something other than Jesus Christ, they're the ones who go right to the back. But those who know that they do not deserve to be there, those who come in humility, those who who know that they've been brought into God's kingdom because of God's mercy and his grace alone, Jesus says, those are the ones I will welcome in with joy and gladness. Because there is one door, not many. It's a narrow door, not a broad one. Entry into this kingdom depends on a personal relationship with Jesus, not a passing acquaintance. And the call is to strive to enter now, not later. This is serious stuff, isn't it? much more serious than a skydiving instructor giving the final instructions before we jump out of a plane. It's a matter of of life and death, eternal life and eternal death. And Jesus says these things, he gives these warnings because he loves us so much. He wants us, all of us, to be with him in paradise forever. So, will you receive his gracious offer of salvation today? If you have, we're going to come to the communion table now. And this table, it's a picture that represents what Jesus Christ has done for us. And it's a picture almost that is a foretaste or a foreshadow of what is to come when Jesus comes back and welcomes us into his kingdom forever. It reminds us of what Jesus Christ has paid, what he gave so that we can be welcomed in. His body broken for us. His blood shed for us. And as we come to the table this morning, I want you just to, in your mind's eye, picture that day. Picture that day when when Jesus is standing there welcoming you in and you walk in to that great banquet hall in heaven. Almost I think of it like, you know, you know when you, you walk into a wedding feast and no one's sat down at the table yet, but the table is, is laid, the name cards are all sitting there waiting it's beautiful and people gasp at how beautiful it is. People say, wow, isn't this amazing what we're getting to sit down to? And not only that, think about this, Jesus is the one that ushers us in and Jesus is the one who pulls the chair out and says, sit down, this is prepared for you. I did this for you. I died for you so that you could be with me, feasting, enjoying being with me forever. As you come to the table, think of that and praise God. If you haven't yet trusted in Jesus, this meal isn't for you. The invitation isn't to come to the table, but the invitation is still there for you today to come to Jesus. Come to him. Trust his word. Entrust your life fully to him. He will never let you down. Let me promise you that. He is a friend for life. Eternal life. So will you come to him? Put your faith in him. Will you stand with me now? I'm going to pray before we come to the communion table. Precious Lord, we know these are, are very serious and weighty words that you give to us this morning. But thank you that you say them to us out of deep love and compassion for us. Lord, thank you that your heart is for each one of us, for us, not against us. Thank you that you, you've demonstrated that truth by giving yourself to us. By giving yourself for us, dying on the cross on our behalf. It's the last thing any of us deserve, but it's what you have gladly done for us. And we want to praise you for that this morning. We want to thank you. And Lord, may you help us now to respond to you in the right way. Maybe for some of us, that's responding in repentance, turning away from the way that we've been going and turning towards you. Repentance and faith, trusting in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you will help us to do that if we're someone who sits in that place this morning. Lord, if we are someone who has trusted in you, I pray that that we will know your love for us once again this morning. Pray that we'll really grasp that and see and have that picture in our minds of, of you, Jesus, welcoming us in, saying, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've run the race. The race is done. Now sit down at the table I've prepared for you and enjoy feasting with me in my presence forevermore. Lord, I pray you'd encourage our hearts for that this morning for whatever we're going through in life right now. Maybe struggles, sickness trials, challenges, Lord, there's so many things that can wear us down, but I pray that little picture, that, that glimpse of heaven this morning will spur us on. But we will see that in every moment, we need you, Jesus Christ. We need you, not just the way into God's kingdom, but the way on forever in God's kingdom. And I pray we'll depend on you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's come to the table.